I've recently started to differentiate between being kind and being nice. Nice is actually a bit of a pathetic word. It doesn't really mean anything. And I think as girls, particularly, we're brought up to be a nice girl, be kind, be polite, be nice. And actually, that's quite dangerous because I want Scout, my daughter, to know that she doesn't have to be nice. If she needs to get away from someone, be as rude as you like and walk off. Your safety is much more important than being nice to some random man on the bus or somebody who's taking the mick at work or, you know, but then being kind is hugely important and it's different to being nice. Being nice, like I said, is surface level. Being kind is truly being compassionate. Saying sorry is hard. There's no two ways about it. But saying sorry as a parent, I imagine that's an extra layer of tough. I think when we're younger, we often expect the people in charge of us to know what they're doing and be correct at all times. And when they aren't, that face sort of gets chipped away at until we reach an age when we realise they're sort of the same as us and perhaps they're making some of it up. Should parents always say sorry to their children? Or should apologies only be given in certain circumstances? And is there a correct way to do it? One school of thought would say no, don't apologise, you're the adult, you're in charge. The other says, say sorry sincerely and model this. Children who can apologise properly will be better equipped to navigate friendships and work in later life. It's all well and good saying this, but what happens in practice? Often, parents end up saying sorry for things they aren't actually responsible for instead. I'm sorry you didn't get an invite to Jonathan's birthday party. I'm sorry you didn't get onto the swimming team. That sort of thing. But apologies are reserved for things we've done wrong. Empathy for when others have. Apologising as a parent sounds really hard. So today we're going to unpack this a little bit and look at the link between sorry and parenthood. And I'm so delighted to welcome Sarah Clark to Sorry Seems to Be the Hardest Word Today. Sarah is the brains behind the successful Disasters of a 30-something blog and is mother to two gorgeous two-year-old twins, Scout and Kipling. Sarah, welcome. Oh, hi Hannah. Thank you so much. I mean, where to begin on this topic? Let's start with your family. When you were growing up, how far was parents apologising a thing in your household? I'm trying to remember because obviously thinking about this topic, I've been thinking more of myself as a parent rather than when I was a child. I think there was a sort of school of parenting that was probably a bit different in the 80s. In the 80s. Um, my parents are, are lovely open people, and, and I, but I can't remember whether they said sorry or not. So perhaps... You know, I'm really trying to rack my brains. It's not something that I particularly remember. I think they took the traditional role of being, you know, in charge and and sort of autonomous and, and correct at all times. So perhaps it was a case of we were the children, they were the adults. But I certainly agree with you what you're saying in the intro. It's funny as you get older and you realise your parents are flawed and just normal, just normal humans. Um, and... I mean, they've never hugely let me down where they've had to give me a huge apology. But I think probably growing up, they did model... They did model the idea of, you know, you apologise if you're in the wrong. Um, but I think parenting, I think sort of trends, not that parenting follows trends, but I think it's sort of changed now, hasn't it, where we want to be a bit more human with our children and a bit more like model our vulnerability. I think that's become more of a thing now. I definitely agree with you about kind of parents perhaps being right. Um, and I honestly think in my household, my parents probably didn't say sorry to me or my siblings, but I definitely recall them saying sorry to one another. Yes, yeah, I do remember yeah, I do remember that. Which I think is interesting with that that dynamic. That's really good to see, I think. Um I th- I remember someone saying once, um, if you want to be I think it was aimed at dads, I think it was if you want to be a good dad, just love your children's mother. And I thought that was really lovely of you know, your children are going to just see what's modelled at home and yeah, I definitely remember my parents being um kind and, and apologizing to each other. Um, which would have modelled, which would have modelled that for me, um, and encouraging us. I'm one of four, um, and we were <laughs> when growing up, we were we were all good friends, um, and we are even more so now. But we would have definitely squabbled and nicked stuff out of each other's rooms and called each other horrible names. So I remember we always had to apologise to each other, which was always really hard because nobody annoys you more than your siblings. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> Why do you think some parents? are reluctant, particularly perhaps parents sort of that aren't young now, but that would have been, you know, when we were children. Why do you think some are reluctant to say the actual words, I'm sorry? Why do we see that as weakness? Well, yeah, and I, yeah, I definitely don't. I'm, I'm quite open with apologising because I'm just obviously being called disasters of a 30-something. I'm constantly needing to apologise for all my mishaps. I think perhaps as a parent, traditionally, 
maybe mums or dads didn't want to be seen as flawed or making mistakes. You know, if you've got to rule the roost and keep your children in line and make sure that they're following the family rules, if you are of that kind of traditional role of parenting, perhaps saying sorry, some people would think would open them up to the children realising there's some room for manoeuvre. Oh, my parents aren't always right. So maybe those rules don't apply for me today. Perhaps there's that sense of opening a can of worms that if you, you show that you are not infallible you're actually deeply fallible (laughs) perhaps then your children will take the mick maybe that maybe that's how some people feel or did in in you know more traditional families growing up yeah I think that's a really interesting one kind of not showing that you're flawed as someone sort of in charge and I wonder if it's actually indeed more impactful as a child having a grown-up sort of own up for a mistake or apologize for losing their temper and I mean it definitely sticks in my mind the times adults had said sorry to me when I was younger because it was simply so rare and as we move up the ranks sort of into full adulthood as I'm calling it and some of us do begin to have have babies and have families how far do you think parenting styles are changing or is there sort of one template and we all just kind of sing from that hymn sheet I think what's really been funny for me I only became a mum obviously a couple of years ago is my friends didn't magically turn into when my friends became mums before me they didn't magically turn into these um perfect cookie cutter mums they just were themselves but with children it was a bit of a revelation I remember thinking oh so my friend who's super organized is now a super organized mum and my friend who's a little bit crazy is now a little bit of a crazy mum and my you know everyone's sort of still themselves but now in charge of small humans which is just really odd so I think everybody is doing their own thing I don't think we're all necessarily singing from the same hymn sheet um I think people are just themselves but with little people that they're in charge of I'm certainly no more organized now (laughs) I've got children I'm just I'm pretty much me just with little twins running after me but I think I think certainly like I said before it's trend definitely feels like the wrong word but I think we are becoming as a society a bit more open to vulnerability and talking about mental health and talking about our failings and that's certainly the case more than it probably was a couple of generations back you know sort of post-war Britain so I think it's going in the right I think it's going in the right direction um and in terms of parenting, perhaps maybe there's a there's a fine line or maybe there's a sort of middle ground. I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to be the mum from Mean Girls. who's like, oh, you girls keep me young. I'm, I'm a cool mum. I, I don't want to be I don't want to be my twin's best friend. That's not my role. But I certainly want to be open and honest. And I think maybe we'll come on to this more. But, but the sort of mum who would apologise. I just really want to pull out that you said about your friends. And I'm really glad you said this, that you were almost surprised that, you know, your organised friend had become a parent and stayed organised. Your crazy friend had become a parent but stayed a little bit crazy and you had very much become yourself and stayed that person. I think with motherhood in particular as opposed to fatherhood, there's a tendency for identity to move somebody from a person to a mother Mm. and sort of remove or ignore all of those brilliant elements about a person. And I'm so glad that you kind of said that you were surprised that that happened for friends because I think... For myself as a young woman and for many young women around me, we're very scared that if we were to pursue that path, perhaps motherhood is our only identity. Yeah, and I think certainly, I'm not saying I didn't change. I've definitely changed in terms of my perspectives and, you know, this enormous love I have for my children that wasn't there before. I think you do change, but you don't magically become Mary Poppins overnight. I think that was my point of I'm just me and I'm still a little disaster pants, but I'm just now, oh gosh, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of people. This is so strange. And it was, it was, it was just really lovely to see with my, with, as my friends became mums and even now uh, other friends are becoming mums. They are still very much themselves. So I've got one friend who's an art teacher. And so she's always, you know, splattered in paint and wears cool clothes. And, and now she's just that, but with a child. And I've got friends who are sitting bankers and lawyers and now they're still they're still super super organized and so with their children they obviously have all of their printed out regimes and routines and everything's got to be done a certain way and so I'm like wow I'm in awe of that that will never be me and I'm not going to magically become this organized mum because I wasn't an I wasn't an organized single person I wasn't an organized married person why would I suddenly be an organized mum I think you do retain your sense of you-ness but I think becoming a parent does it does change you sort of in your very core but not your ability to (laughs) organize or yeah no you I think it, it does change you but you keep your sense of yourself 
I love that. I think that make that'll make many of us feel very relieved. You know, you do keep your sense of self. And okay, good. <laughs> there seems to be so many choices when it comes to raising children. Now you're obviously a parent. Um, you've got your two year olds. How much thought have you given, or do you give to what you want to do when it comes to kind of saying sorry and modelling those positive behaviours? It's certainly in my mind, but my children are only just becoming verbal. So I think it's it's sort of only starting now. They just actually turned two this week. Um, and so they can say a handful of words and they started to string together like two word sentences. So the idea of being guilty of mm. doing something wrong or, or having to apologise, it's all quite new in our family for, for their age. Um, but I've certainly... I've certainly thought about what kind of mum I want to be, but actually the weird thing about parenting is you almost don't get a chance to stop and think. It's all happening kind of as it's happening around you. And so you have to make kind of quick decisions and then sort of stick to them and be consistent. It's it's a strange sort of, oh, I don't, it's quite hard to explain, but you, you think you'll do something one way, but you find actually in the moment it works better another way and, and you're sort of testing things as you go. Um, but I definitely, definitely, I definitely want to be somebody who would model openness and honesty. So that would include apologizing. And I want my children to see that I am just a normal person and that, you know, obviously with my blog and my name on Instagram being disasters of a 30 something, when they read, they'll know, <laughs> know that's my name online. But also the idea behind that is I really love people to celebrate their disasters as well as their triumphs. And I think what unites us is often things that go wrong. So I'd love my children to feel free in their failures, that they can come home and say something went wrong and they're not going to get necessarily in trouble. We can talk it through and that life isn't necessarily a checklist of successes and triumphs. It's also just a, a journey where we can be kind to others and we can explore things and have adventures. And it's not a black and white right and wrong necessarily, if that makes sense. I think I would love to have apologies in our house be real because we also know that it's okay to fail I think that's such an interesting and beautiful way of looking at it and you know talking about the sort of peaks and troughs of life you of course have the peak and pit collective where you kind of do the good and the bad and what what sort of inspired you to do that yeah that started um many people who are listening to this might might follow me they might not it started three years ago when my husband and I went traveling around the world and I'd very much we we just started traveling and I'd, I'd, I'd seen other accounts and they seemed to fall into two camps they were either super glossy completely unbelievable um, traveling accounts where somebody seemed to be wearing a ball gown on yeah. top of a mountain. And then I'd go to that mountain, I'd, I'd go to that mountain and I was like, but it took us seven hours to climb. And where did they put their ball gown? I just was so confused. Or it was the camp of everything's terrible. Um, don't travel. You'll just hate, you know, sort of really, really positive or really negative. And when we started traveling, I soon realized that it was a combination of good and bad. And I wanted to be really honest and I wanted to have an account that people could see the good and the bad. And I think what's nice about sharing a peak and pit is that you're free to sort of humble brag when things go right, because in the next sentence, something's going to go wrong. You get a bit of both. It actually started um, the day that we first slept in our camper van we bought a camper van to go around New Zealand and the first campsite we pulled up at turned out to be nudist it turned oh, out to be a nudist beach my. and so given we we had no idea we're not total pervs but given that we were on the literal on the literal other side of the world I actually felt really free so we just stripped off and ran into the bit ran to the beach and it was really yeah no it was really fun and then that night so that was the peak and then that night um I woke up in the van and I get a bit claustrophobic and it was our first night sleeping in it we'd done it out to be like a little room but it was just a normal sort of car van it wasn't a posh it wasn't a posh camper with a loo and a shower it was literally just a car um and I woke up that night and I felt the ceiling was just just inches from my face and I had a panic attack in the night and I didn't know where the door was and I just started sweating and sort of hyperventilating and Johnny had to help me and so the next day I wrote about it and I said well we had a great naked day and then a terrible 
I had a terrible night and I decided to call it the Peak and Pit because actually, Hannah, I'll be honest, I saw it on the Kardashians. <laughs> I saw the Peak and Pit. Did you? Yeah, it was like Chris Chris Jenner at dinner, like, girls, what's your Peak and Pit of the holiday? And um, oh, I was like, days. I know. So when people say, did you make up Peak and Pit? I'm like, no, I totally stole it from the Kardashians. But then it sort of resonated with people a bit, I think. So I did it that first day and people were lovely. I have such lovely followers. I don't get horrible trolls. Well, maybe after this, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> and everyone was lovely. And they said, oh, why don't you carry this on? So I did. I carried on doing a peak and pit every day of our year traveling. And then that was three years ago. And I've carried on ever since. And I think in a way, it's slightly more relatable now because it's just nappy explosions and trips to the shop. And, oh, this went well, this went. But it's just very, very average, you know, sort of mum life. Um, and so I find it really helps. Sorry, I'm waffling a bit here, but I find it really, really helps me at the end of the day to take stock and appreciate the things that have gone well, but also sort of have a little laugh at the things that at the, point, at the time I wanted to cry. But when I write about them in the evening, I can see the funny side of the pits. I think that's so important, particularly in a year like 2020, which oh has <laughs> perhaps yeah. not been the one that we had hoped for. Yeah. To actually say, do you know what? This was completely crap, but looking back on it, it wasn't so bad, you know, and I think perhaps, maybe not now, but maybe next year, we might look back and think, that was a bit random, that was a bit insane. Yeah, and I think what's nice about, um, I would encourage anybody listening to write their peak and pit in the evening, you don't have to share it online, Um, obviously, do hashtag the peak and pit collective if you are on Instagram, but if you want to keep it private, I think it's really, really helpful, because I've had people message me when they're going through quite a difficult time, you know, perhaps through a divorce, or through a bereavement, or losing a job, looking when you when it's pretty obvious what your pit is it's sometimes quite hard to see your peak of the day and I'd encourage you to to do that in the evening because it's sometimes it's something absolutely tiny you know like Cadbury's cream eggs are back in the shops or <laughs> definitely a big peak <laughs> yeah your favorite films on ITV or whatever and I think it's just it's just a really lovely way to, to appreciate the, the small things when things are going wrong. But also on the flip side, when everything's a little bit too smug happy, because um, I'm pretty happy at the moment, I do find it's it's almost quite levelling to look for the bad. And that, that's, that might sound a bit counterintuitive, but I quite enjoy seeing both sides because it helps prepare me for on those bad days, I know there's going to be a good. And on the good days, I know there's going to be a funny little bad (laughs) I think well I wonder actually with kind of two young ones as well if perhaps it's really more simple ways to see the good because you know that things are happening right in front of your eyes whereas I think you know people that are having really bad time need to look a little bit further afield perhaps do you think that's fair to say or am I just being gobby yeah no no I think I think yeah your immediate your highs and lows are quite immediate when you're looking after toddlers um perhaps if you're living on your own it might feel harder to find that but that's why I was making those sort of simple suggestions of sometimes it literally is your favorite chocolate bar or your favorite bottle of wine or sometimes it's a call from someone you weren't expecting to hear from sometimes it's just a lovely walk watching the sunset it can be anything dead simple but it's not for me to say you know people need to work out for themselves what what was their high and low their peak and pit of the day um and sometimes it's something enormous you know something comes out of left field and either good or bad and uh it's it's knowing it's knowing that there's going to be ups and downs. I mean, everybody knows this. This is not <laughs> this is not brand new information. But I think when you write it down, you realise, oh, actually, that did mean more to me than I realised. That was actually such a highlight today, that little moment when we had that funny laugh over something or, you know, I got I ran for the bus and I actually caught it. I think it could be something absolutely tiny that makes your day. What do you think your peak's been today? Oh, gosh, Hannah, put me on the spot. Being on your podcast, babe. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'm like, absolutely brilliant answer. I mean, it's been quite an average sort of parenting day where um, we've just played in the garden and done some colouring. So, yeah, I think being on this podcast is definitely my peak. (laughs) I feel like, obviously not being a parent myself, lots of the activities you get to do as a parent sound absolutely brilliant. Like, you get to take your kids pottery painting and it's totally normal. Whereas when I call up, they go, how many young people are you bringing? And I go, I mean, just myself. Just me. You know? You can get chicken nuggets and no one judges you. (laughs) Yes, there's definitely perks to being a parent, but don't forget when you take a small person pottery painting, they're going to be completely covered and you're not necessarily going to be able to concentrate on your own creation. So I think they're sort of little... They're little maniacs who like to cause chaos, but they are also amazing. Um, yeah, no, I do love that sometimes I'll just have, you know, 
chicken nuggets and, and potato waffles for tea because it's what they had. Sounds delicious. We've watched Paddington 2 every day this week. <laughs> so I'm not the whole of... thing? I love that. <laughs> well, the first half and then they get bored so the next day we have to watch the second half. But yeah, it's on. it's been on every day because they, they have a few words and now they keep saying, bear, bear, mama, bear. And I know they mean Paddington too. <laughs> Do you think motherhood is something that one grows into or are some people just naturally more maternal I definitely think some people um are more maternal and I follow this wonderful woman on Instagram called Anna Mathur and she talks on Mother's Day about if you have a mother heart you might not necessarily be a mum in the traditional sense and I think sometimes Mother's Day can be quite painful for people who perhaps aren't a mum yet or for whatever reason can't be a mum in the traditional sense and she talks about mother heart and I think it's really 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 lovely because not everybody will necessarily have biological children or adopt or, or whatever, but I've got friends who are definitely maternal and almost to their own peers. You know, you've got the friend who will hold your hair back when you're sick in the club. Yeah. <laughs> you've got your friend who will bake brownies whenever you come around, they seem to have baked. And you're like, who are you? Um, you've got the friend who you can call at any point and they'll always have an answer. You've got the friend who will just listen. There's definitely, definitely a maternal kind of aspect of people's personalities that it's not necessarily that you'll ever be a traditional one perhaps you will but you still sort of nurture and comfort and that's I think that's definitely part of being maternal I think that's interesting because I imagine in most um sort of groups of female friends there is the mother hen character yeah (laughs) um as we call it and I think often that person does actually model sorry quite well so it is sometimes perplexing that when people do become mums, you're like, but where's your sorry gone? I know you can do it. And then I have sort of old women in my life that are like, I'm not letting them know I made, a, made an error. Just keep on going. And I'm like, yeah, seems fair. Yeah, that stiff upper lip. Perhaps, perhaps it's quite a British thing as well. I don't know necessarily about other cultures, but you might find those beautifully open Italians are great at saying sorry, you know, or in certain you know you just don't know do you I think it's quite a British thing to sometimes be like oh no carry on we will get onto your stories in a sec I promise I was just wondering what you think about the idea so I remember very vividly when I got told off when I was little for doing something to one of my sisters I would always be told say sorry to your sister and mean it and I would never ever mean the sorry right because (laughs) I don't want to say sorry for what I've just done because I wouldn't have just done it. I've just been forced to do it. And You're as kids, I don't know if you do, but I resented, I resented doing that. And it was much more impactful, actually, when I'd done something naughty to my parents. And they just said they were really disappointed. And I would later feel that I had to go and say sorry. I felt compelled to do so because I was so embarrassed or ashamed. Whereas I think when we're told to do it, it's almost like, well, I don't want to now. I think it falls into that same camp. I remember hating if you were crying or you were sad as a child and someone's like, stop crying look happy. And I'm like, this is just insane. Like, how can I control my emotions to that extent? And I think that's perhaps what I mean about parenting styles might have evolved and adapted a little bit because there is no shame in crying. And I want my children to know if they feel sad, they can be sad. And perhaps, I hadn't thought about this before, perhaps being kind of, (laughs) perhaps being sorry is something that can't be forced. I certainly, we, we've started already, my children bite each other. Um, so we've started, we've started, we've started, and proper bites, Hannah, I'm talking about like, there's, there's like scar, there's like scars all over their back. Chunks. And um, we've started saying, you know, you have to say sorry, but they can barely even say the word, but you can kind of tell when they're not going to do it. And perhaps forcing them isn't, I'm not sure I have to have a little dwell on this one because it's maybe that same camp, like I said, of be happy stop crying and be sorry, say sorry. And perhaps they need to come to that conclusion themselves, but that perhaps you need to encourage them, <laughs> encourage them in the right direction until they realize for themselves. But I guess there's a sense of, pol- I don't know if politeness is the right word, but apologizing in the moment is certainly a life skill, isn't it? And, and taking ownership. So perhaps rather, maybe if they're not perhaps sorry, deep, deep, deep down, they still need to take ownership and admit what they've done and then afterwards maybe they can feel contrite and <laughs> sorry later on faux apologize you know feel sorry later <laughs> yeah faux apologize exactly and sarah you've very kindly agreed to share your stories with us today thank you so so much and i'd love us to start off with your sorry that you waited for but never came and it concerns an ex-boyfriend of yours who just he really just sounds rather horrid 
Yeah, so this takes on a slightly more serious note. So a sort of trigger warning for anyone who has been in an abusive relationship or is, you know, currently struggling with a controlling partner, because I had um, a long term partner who I obviously hope is no longer aware of what I'm doing so I would hate for them to listen be listening to this but um I I he was uh extremely controlling and emotionally abusive and I'm sort of making light of it but it was obviously awful mm. and I eventually managed to sort of break up with him and years later I bumped into him in the street and it was almost the biggest shock of my life because I wasn't expecting to see him and it sort of threw me and having spoken before about being that sort of polite British nature I I was really nice because I was so caught off guard I was like oh hi and gave him a hug and was really normal and in my head I was like what on earth are you doing and he suggested getting a quick drink and I was like well that's the last thing I want to do but I said yes out of politeness I don't know what on earth I was doing and we just we had a little chat and I I remember thinking, I'm going to apologise for anything I did wrong in our relationship. Because this was a few years later, I thought maybe he's matured, um, perhaps he's changed. And obviously, as women, sometimes we're quite <laughs> quite kind, aren't we? And our expectations of people think, oh, I bet, I bet they've changed, I bet they've grown, and often yeah. they haven't. Um, so I remember saying, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry for anything I did in our relationship because we were quite young at the time we got together at like 20 um I'm sorry for anything I did in our relationship that hurt you and the reason I did it was sort of a to apologize but b mainly because I was hoping that might open him up to say sorry because I had I hadn't had much closure on the whole thing and he had caused me a lot of stress and a lot of pain and I apologise, and then I got nothing back. So the sorry that I waited for but never came was this man who clearly hadn't changed. And even though I'd I'd given the olive branch, I got nothing back. And I walked off after we said goodbye. And I'd been polite the whole way through. I walked off thinking, my word, he's not changed at all. And I'm so glad that I'm away from him. I'm so glad that that's hopefully the last time I'll see him. And I wish him well, because I would obviously wish anyone well. And, and I hope that he eventually does find happiness. But it was it was a real eye opener. And I remember a friend saying to me, you don't always get closure from the people that you need closure from, because they're, if you need closure from them, they're the sort of person who's not going to give it to you. Um, and so you have to find it within yourself. And so actually, it was probably quite an important moment for me to draw a, a really big line under that part of my life. There's a couple of things I want to pull out of that. And one of the first ones is you kind of saying, you know, I went up and I gave him a hug and I didn't want to go for the drink, but I went anyway. And then talking about that politeness element and you kind of particularly referenced that may have been a bit more of a female trait. And I have to say, I entirely agree with you. I wonder if sometimes we're conditioned to A, be fearful and B, do the right thing or what we perceive as the right thing. Mm. And Obviously, you didn't really have a reason that you needed to say sorry, but it was the coaxing out of this, you know, the idea you could coax this other person to be the person that you wanted them to be and just that disappointment that they never are. I mean, how do you feel sort of looking back on that interaction I think there's two things there I think I've I've recently started to differentiate between being kind and being nice I think being nice is a sort of a bit nice is actually a bit of a pathetic word it doesn't really mean anything being nice sounds quite surface level and I think as girls particularly we're brought up to be a nice girl be kind be be, uh, be polite be nice um and be, be nice to them and actually that's quite dangerous because I want scout my daughter to know that she doesn't have to be nice if she needs to get away from someone be as rude as you like and walk off um, you know, your safety is much more important than being nice to some random man on the bus or somebody who's taking the mick at work or, you know, but then being kind is hugely important and it's different to being nice. Being nice, like I said, is surface level. Being kind is truly being um, compassionate. And sometimes the kindest thing to do is just to remove yourself from a situation. Um, and I think looking back at that, I don't know if if I regret, I don't tend to have regrets because you know you don't know what would have happened differently and, and life just works itself out, doesn't it? And so I don't regret what happened, but I certainly feel like I've grown up to become stronger. This is now quite a few years ago that that happened. And yeah, I, I guess I was trying to coax, like you say, and uh, I was trying to coax an apology out of him, but I shouldn't have had to do that in the first place. But also I did want to say I was sorry because I wasn't perfect. And I think many women who listening to this might know that if you're in a, an abusive relationship 
you you can also act up yourself because it becomes quite a toxic environment. And so I, I did want to say my piece and I did. And the fact that he didn't means at least I can know that I have nothing more to say. On our show so far, we've had a couple of people that have had apologies come to them years after incidents have happened. Do you think this person would ever reflect on their actions and think they've behaved wrong and, and wrongly and reached out? Or do you think that's actually, that's a closed door for somebody? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I don't need it now. I'm you know happily married and got my family and I don't certainly don't need anything from him. I think, I don't know if I would categorise him in this way, but I have a friend who's also been in an abusive relationship and her therapist has categorised him as being a narcissist. So everything revolves around him and he certainly would never feel the need to apologise because in his sort of fantasy world, he never does any wrong. So I wonder whether there are some men who it's not worth waiting for an apology because in their world, the world revolves around them and they're never wrong. Um, And so I think it's quite, I loved that advice I got from that one friend of like, don't wait for closure from somebody because you just don't know if they're ever going to give it to you. You have to almost get that from yourself. Um, And from just choosing, just choosing, you know, as simple as it is just to move on, just be like, nope, wiping my hands of that situation. And I'm going to just look forward and, um, with the help of friends and family, that can, it can be done. Um, I know. I just wanted to say here that if anybody is listening to this and it has been a trigger, there is there is help available. So just make sure that you um, go online and, and look for help and tell and be open with friends because I think sometimes there's a lot of shame involved in um, being in an abusive relationship. But it's, there's no shame. There's no shame in it at all. It can feel that way, but, it, but just tell a friend and you'll feel a thousand times better. Thank you. And as Sarah says, there will be information in the show notes for anybody that wants to reach out to any help services. And Sarah, I wonder when relationships of any kind, whether they be friendships or family member or friend passes away or a breakup, we almost want a sorry to validate sort of our time and and place in that person's life. You know, sorry, their life couldn't continue longer or sorry that they're leaving us. Um, and it was all sort of worth it. I mean, am I? Do you think I'm talking total bollocks, or does that make any sense at all to you? No, that does. It does make sense. Um, I guess it depends on your relationship to them, or, or how the how the relationship ended. But I think certainly. I mean, I keep saying as a girl because that's my own experience as being a woman. But I think as women as well, we don't want to feel like we wasted time on someone. Um, and so apologies are always <laughs> are always nice but you just don't know if you're ever going to get one but yeah I guess it's different if, if you're bereaved or, or you, you feel like you were time with somebody was robbed from you and then who are you going to get a sorry for you know mm. the universe god whatever you believe it's it's harder when it's something big like that I would love us to talk about the sorry that you should have given but you didn't and I know this was a, a hard one for you because you said you do you know do make an effort to say you're sorry so I'm so curious as to what you'll be sharing with us I don't know if it's an effort. I think it's just almost I'm half of what I'm sort of half those knee jerk people who if you bump into someone in the street and it wasn't even your fault, you're like, sorry, sorry, I almost apologise too much. Tread, <laughs> um, Someone treads on your toe and you go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry my toe was in the way of your foot. Um, and also, I yes, I'm somebody who I think I'm quite an open character. So I tend to admit fault because I don't see any shame in, in being at fault. I think it's quite I think it's quite liberating to say I did that wrong I'm really sorry and I'm going to change or I'm going to try but yeah this one I couldn't nothing sprang to mind and then I realized especially since we're talking about parenting the sorry that I haven't given is to my friends who became mums years and years and years ago and I almost didn't take it as seriously as I should have I didn't give them the help that they might have needed I was still wanting to go out you know clubbing or to go to house parties and this is you know some of my friends had children quite young so we're talking about like early 20s mid 20s and I I've always loved babies but I didn't I didn't really care as much as perhaps I should have I did I didn't know that I needed to turn up with a tray of brownies and some hot you know like a lasagna and be that friend I just it just didn't really massively occur to me yeah um, and I, I didn't give them the leeway that they needed when we were trying to make plans in a group and a friend would be the only friend in the WhatsApp group or the Facebook group or whatever year we're talking about um, with a child and we'd be making plans to meet like midday and they'd be like, oh, I'm really sorry, that's like Joe's nap time. And in my head, I'd be like, oh, pathetic, um, change his nap time. What are you talking about? Why, is he, why are you letting this like ball of human, tiny baby change our plans? We're trying to meet for brunch, don't you know? And now... 
nap time is incredible like hannah nap time is sacred yeah you cannot you cannot change a nap time it is just the most and i now get it i get it and i think it takes it takes almost well maybe nice people get it earlier like you know kind compassionate people get it earlier than me but i just didn't get it and now that i'm a mum, i'm like oh my gosh all those times i made that friend trek across on the tube to meet me because it was convenient to me or all those times that i could have brought them food or just been a nicer friend and then i there's been people there's been people who when I had the twins were so kind and I'm just like oh my goodness it means everything when someone turns up and I had a friend who just came around my lovely friend Helen and um I'd only had the twins uh, a week or two and she turned up with loads of towels she was like you need more towels um because and like muslins you just really practical stuff and she did a whole Sainsbury's shop for me she did this is people have been absolutely lovely it made me feel a bit shameful that I didn't do that for all my friends who became mums quite young and maybe didn't have all the support. But I guess you didn't know. Yeah, no, I didn't, but I maybe wish I had. And so I do apologise to those friends because I could have been a much better friend. I was still too concerned in going out like Clapham and um, <laughs> making sure I got my lions and making sure I got my... Infernos. Yeah, exactly, Infernos, making sure I got my bottomless brunches in. I'm like, they want to meet at a soft plate? No, thanks. There's not a chance. And then you're like, oh, no, soft plate is amazing because the children, you know, you, you just change. and you, um, Yeah, so I, I apologise to those lovely women i think that's such a wonderful story for you to share because that's actually very educational for (laughs) lots of people listening to this because i mean in schools i think first of all sex and kind of education isn't great anyways but parent education or how to be an adult like none of this is given to you and it's not until you're in a position where you go god you know i'm so exhausted it'd be really great if someone can just make dinner happen so that i'm not then doing that laborious task as well i know it's so true i mean you don't know it until it's yourself right? i totally agree i totally agree i think there's lots of stuff that should be taught in school that isn't um and that's part of it like relationships and um looking after people in different life stages that you don't really touch on until you're in them until one of your friends is, is in them or you yourself i've had friends actually do the same for me where now they've become mums in the last couple of years they've gone oh my goodness and you did this with twins i didn't realize at the time that you might have needed xyz and i'm like oh it's fine don't worry like it's a rite of passage <laughs> um but it is nice to hear that apology what do you think is the thing you valued most kind of in those first few months of motherhood with not one, but obviously two babies? It was the friends. And I've got um, now I've moved up north. I've got like new local friends. It was the friends who just got it and they would turn up and they'd put something on the doorstep and they'd send a text saying, I'm not even coming in. You're probably half dressed. You're probably you might even be asleep, but I've left X, Y, Z on the doorstep. They sort of got it that you might need stuff, but not have the ability to string a sentence together or not have got showered that day or you might just be having a two minute nap and not want to hear the doorbell go again because I think when you've got children and they're newborn you get a lot of visitors you get a lot of midwives coming around health visitors family and I think I really really appreciated those friends who'd bring sweets and chocolate (laughs) leave it on the door and just send a whatsapp saying check your front door when you can those friends were just fabulous and then also just the friends who'd send a text and check in on you and say it's okay to admit if you're if you're struggling you know just friends who you can be really really honest with those are the ones you really appreciate when you're going through the sort of difficult I loved those first few weeks, but it's it's completely mind-blowing how much your life changes and the learning curve. I try now with new mums or people who are pregnant to say, I'm not going to give you any unsolicited advice because you just get bombarded. But if you need me, I'm here. And, and um, Because I didn't, I didn't massively love being told, oh, you must do this or you mustn't do that because you can't remember it all. And then you just feel bad that you maybe are breaking some random rule someone gave you three months ago. I think one of the really wonderful things about your blog and your Instagram and your Twitter is that motherhood from an outsider perspective, which is my own, can sometimes seem quite a competitive um, game to play. And you just seem very open, like, hey, this is today. Yeah, this is this is um, some cool wallpaper we've got. And also someone pooed everywhere kind of vibe. And like, it just seems very genuine and real. And I wonder if often we are bombarded with these images of kind of perfect motherhood and what it means and the breastfeeding versus non-breastfeeding and the natural birth and all of these sorts of things and you're like oh this is so much information I don't even know what to think oh man I I totally agree and the competitive thing really makes me laugh because there are some mums not necessarily mums I'd be friends with (laughs) I'm just joking (laughs) but some mums who are like oh my baby's crawling my baby's walking I didn't want them to do any of these things because your life becomes harder when your baby can just sit 
they can't go anywhere and you can <laughs> just stationary oh my word it's the dream time and so I couldn't understand why anybody was being competitive about when their baby might crawl or walk I didn't want them to do any of those things because it would make my life harder so I'm actually just deeply lazy and so I don't have I don't have the energy to be competitive and I don't want my children to be these like super achievers where I've got to run around after like piano recitals and you know award shows and blooming like football tournaments I just want them to sit, <laughs> sit at home doing nothing I'm joking <laughs> but I think that I just I'm not one of these people I'm not competitive for myself so I'm definitely not going to be competitive for my children just I just want them to be happy um but yes in terms of being bombarded and it feeling like it's got to be glossy I do love following other mums on Instagram because I think I think it's really nice to see how different and I follow I follow a real mix so I follow um younger mums older mums um mums from all races and religions and abilities because it's really interesting to see how different people cope and I don't want to have too much of a sort of whitewashed feed and so um I'm definitely following as many different mums as I can for diversity and to see how people because we can learn so much from different people can't we but actually I quite like that because some of the mums I do follow are quite glossy and I'm like oh wow how is she wearing like a white dress and she's running through a field so realistic (laughs) but then but then I also follow mums where everything is um you know painfully real and it's like less go all over the floor and they're covered in smears of chocolate and I love both because I get something from everyone mum that I follow and and I don't expect anyone to be the same I mean it'd be so boring wouldn't it if either every mum was glossy or every mum was being Hmm. like overtly real I think it's nice to follow a real mix and it's also it's individual to you so there'll be people listening and they actually get really uplifted from seeing beautiful accounts they find it really inspiring and there'll be people listening who just want to see like the real real raw um reality and I think it's up to you it's what uplifts you and fills you and I remember I don't know if I if I coined this term but I was quite proud because I thought (laughs) of it but somebody might have thought of it before me and I said your feed should feed you so when you go on Instagram or Twitter or whatever that you love it should really feed your soul you shouldn't find that it's draining you so just make sure you're following people if you are a new mum and you're struggling don't follow people who make you feel bad follow people who make you feel like we're all in it together that is such brilliant advice and I think we can all apply that your feed should feed you. I'm definitely going to be having a clear down afterwards because I <laughs> definitely do that thing where I sort of start scrolling at 10 p.m. going, oh, I'm so ugly, and then putting it away. Oh. And that's not the last thought I need in my head before bed. No, no, not a little beauty like you, no. <laughs> Thank you so much. And Sarah, we're going to move on to a sorry that really meant something to you. And this does also concern parenthood. And just a warning for people that this is quite a sensitive subject. Sarah, do you mind sharing with us your sorry that really meant something? Not at all. I know it's funny these questions you've asked me, Hannah, because I've sort of it's like a therapy session. I've sort of I'm unpacked no everything <laughs> from like ex boyfriend. Um, yeah, so just another trigger warning. My 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 podcast seems to be full of trigger warnings, but this one is about miscarriage. And so when we were on that travel year in the latter half, um, I was pregnant, and we were so excited. It was our first baby, and we went for a twelve week scan. And because we were traveling, we were actually in Zimbabwe, um, and the sonographer was this absolute lovely woman really gentle um, like you were saying I don't know if she's got children but she had that maternal quality of being very caring um, and when she said sorry but I can't find a heartbeat it obviously the floor fell from beneath me but I remember thinking afterwards the way she did it was in such a lovely way she, she said it like she really meant it and she said it really gently and slowly she didn't like whack us with the news um And I think for some people, they have jobs where they have to deliver bad news, Um, whether you're a nurse or a doctor or, you know, a teacher. Well, there's so many jobs, aren't there, where you might have bad news to deliver. And I think it really matters that you're the kind of person who really cares about what you're saying and delivers it in a kind and gentle way. And it made every difference to me because obviously that was the worst news I've ever heard. But she did it in a way that I actually remember um, her gentleness. And um, and I think if you're going to hear bad news, it makes it it just is it just takes that tinge away for it to be delivered by a person like her. She was just absolutely lovely. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for sharing with us. I can't even begin to imagine the pain of that moment. And then obviously, you know, a future you had planned that perhaps wasn't going to happen. And I think it is so right about what you said about the gentleness of that delivery. And it is often those important stories that we recall and we are so grateful for and I wonder when it does come to 
bereavement, many of us are at a loss of what to say generally. And sometimes the act of sorry or delivering sorry in a certain way can convey the words we perhaps can't quite get out. Yeah, it's interesting you've said that actually, because the two things that I've mentioned there being um, in the first sorry, having experienced being in an abusive relationship and then with the latter sorry, having lost a child. Um, I actually don't regret anything that's happened in my life because one of the sort of strange silver linings for me is I feel I'm much more empathetic and sympathetic to someone who's in one of those situations because I've actually lived it. And I think I hope that my sorries, my, you know, not so, sorry that I did anything wrong, but sorry that it happened to you. I'm genuinely heartbroken when anything happens to my friends, but I'm almost strangely glad that I've experienced it myself. And I know that probably sounds really odd, but I am because I can feel their pain and I can share it with them. And, and my sorry I mean every word and I also and I also like we were talking about before what do you help what do you do with a new parent I know sort of the practical things that somebody might need you know if they've lost a baby sometimes you do just need crap loads of gin and chocolate and a friend to come around and watch a stupid film and just to take your mind off things and you also need um you physically need like massive pants and <laughs> you just there's physical things that you once you've experienced, experienced something for yourself you can be a better friend and so I would hope that my apologies now are maybe more sincere because there's things that I've experienced for myself and I know I know what it's like. And Sarah, tell me if you don't answer this, you're more than welcome to say, Hannah, shut up, please. But <laughs> I wonder in terms of miscarriage, do you feel we're at a space in society where we can speak about this openly? Oh, definitely. Well, I, I do. Um, and I think it's going in the right direction. But I it, it's been such a taboo. It takes a while for that to shake off. But there's people doing brilliant. I'm thinking particularly of Instagram because that's where I spend a lot of my, my scrolling time. Um, my friend Zoe Clark Coates writes books on baby loss. And she's a fantastic person to follow um, on Instagram. If, if you have, she shares really, really openly about what you might be experiencing and where to find help. She also has... Um, saying goodbye services for people who've lost children and at the moment they're sort of virtual because of blooming covid but um hmm. yes i i think we're going in the right direction i think i said this earlier that we as a society are going in the right direction of being more open about our vulnerabilities and our mental health and our quote-unquote failings because they might not actually be a failing it might just be something that we feel paranoid about ourselves but i think i hope that people are being more open about talking about miscarriage because I just don't see the shame in it at all because it's not your fault if something like this happens. It's completely, it's almost an unknown. I know there's a lot of research going into it, but I, I, when I shared that we'd lost that baby, our first baby, who I love talking about, by the way, because they're still my child, even though um, they weren't born, they're, st they're still someone who I love talking about because they're part of our family. Um, when I shared about that, I had 700 women, and I still remember this number because it just floored me. I had 700 women message me to say, either I'm, either I'm sorry or it's happened to me. Um, and so it's actually a hugely important topic and I feel it now. And I, like I was saying before, once you've experienced something, it gives you that fire to actually care more and know what somebody's going through and be a bit more empathetic. And so I think it's a huge, hugely important topic. Um, but I don't see, I, I almost don't understand why it's been such a taboo because this, it's not that you've done anything wrong. I think perhaps maybe there was miseducation, misinformation before about, oh, you know, if you drank too much or you, um, you did X, Y, Z wrong, or you worked too hard. And I think women maybe blame themselves, but there's no proof that it's anything um, that we do ourselves. It's just, it's just what's happening with in science, you know. Um, <clears throat> I'm no doctor, as you can probably, as you can probably tell from the fact this is making no sense. But I think it's such a shame that there's shame around it because there's no need at all. And I think we're going in the right direction where I know that, when people messaged me, they maybe said, I haven't told anybody about this. This happened to me a couple of years ago. Only my partner knows. But now I'm maybe going to tell my friends. I've had also people say, I think there's a sense of that people don't want to drag their friends down. So perhaps if you go through a miscarriage, and I'm really sorry if this is you, if you're listening now, because it is the worst pain. But I think sometimes we're afraid or people can be afraid of dragging their friends down because perhaps another friend is pregnant or another friend has children and you don't want to say I've lost a baby but please please share because 
that friend who is pregnant might have gone through it and not told you and you can share and I, I Zoe who I've just mentioned who writes these books on baby loss she's so fantastic because I remember her saying to me don't see if you've lost a baby don't see other pregnant women um and feel sad or jealous see them as beacons of hope that pregnancies do work and that you will get there um and that really that really helped me I think it's so interesting what you say about um not sharing we perhaps don't want to be seen as attacking somebody else's happiness with our sadness it's almost as if we think we have a limited amount of kind of sadness tokens throughout our life that we can give out and at one point we just go well actually I've used them all for now and it's just it's so not true but I think with all sorts of different things we we feel that if someone's getting married and you've just got divorced or broken up with I I think you're reluctant to say how sad you are because they're obviously so happy if you've just had a miscarriage and your friend is pregnant it's the same thing Mm. I wonder why we're not very good at kind of being more direct yet I know and I keep coming back to this thing of of the the British way because I don't know what it's like in other countries they might be much better than us I think yeah we don't want to nobody ever wants to drag their friends down nobody wants to drag a conversation down and sometimes it's quite hard to broach these are massive subjects so if you're having drinks with the girls and it's all like happy happy go lucky at what point do you say I've got some terrible news like it's quite a hard thing it's quite a hard thing to just launch into but perhaps what's good is social media where you can find accounts that speak to you you can message people who've gone through the same thing who you perhaps don't know in real life but really get it and that's one thing I love about social media is you really find like-minded people quite quickly through that algorithm that's both our best friend and our worst enemy the blooming algorithm but it can it can be helpful (laughs) when when you when you meet like-minded people and um you can then kind of pull your heart out and you don't necessarily know them but they've been through the same thing but I do think it's important to talk to your real life friends as well because I don't think I don't think there's anything to lose if you have a great reaction from a friend brilliant if you have a terrible reaction perhaps that person's not a true friend perhaps they're not somebody that you need in this in this you know chapter of your life surround yourself with people who get you and support you and uplift you Sarah Clark, what a brilliant and phenomenal note to end on. Thank you so, so much for chatting to us today. As Sarah says, there is going to be some information in the show notes for anyone that has been through or knows somebody affected by some of the issues that we've touched on. And we have an anonymous sorry for you, Sarah. This is one you might need to look out for from one of our listeners. Here we go. I'm sorry for etching your name into the wooden windowsill in our parents' living room with a biro, all in a hope to get you into trouble. At the time, having successfully pinned the blame on you and hearing Dad loudly tell you off, I laughed. I thought I was so clever and hilarious. Now I feel like they were the actions of a pretty awful sister. To be honest, I'm sorry for a lot of the horrible stuff I did and said to you, including pushing you down a slide with a rusty edge and slicing your finger open. I'm glad you haven't let it stop us from being friends now we're older and wiser. I do love you. This is Sorry Seems to Be the Hardest Word, created by myself, Hannah Tooley, edited and mixed by Big Sound Audio. Our music has been created by the extremely talented David Dudney. Check out his band, The Best Part, on Spotify. Spotify.